Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. As always on Sound Reasoning, uh, we like to talk about doctrinal concepts and things that would help the everyday Christian. Doesn't matter if you are a pastor, a trustee, a deacon, a lay person, Sunday school teacher, all of us have been commanded by God to not just divide his word, but to divide it correctly. And in today's society where pluralism abound based on relativity, in other words, what's true for you doesn't have to be true for me. There's no objective truth. It's always refreshing to come across a publication, a book, a journal, uh, an email that actually gets us back to the sound doctrine that the Bible uh, exhibits. And today we really wanted to uh, touch on a book that I had a chance to peruse and it's called the God who gives. And in this book, it brings us back to God's plan for our lives and how we all got here in terms of a word that many churches don't even talk about, which is sin. And the, Truth is, if we don't talk about sin, then we are leaving out uh, the core part of how this whole thing came about in terms of the fallen world and, and in relation to God's creation. So I encourage you, those that are listening to us, to really take heed to today's uh, interview, and I'm sure that you'll be edified. So joining us today... Uh, we have Professor Capic. Uh, he is a uh, professor of theological studies at King's College. Brother Capic, how- cut out. <laughs> Sounds to me like you just cut out. Are you there? Uh, we're still here. Oh, okay. So for some reason, you just cut out. Hi, how are you? Doing good. <laughs> Thank you for being. that happen before. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being on Sound Reasoning. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So, my first question is: What was the impetus for you writing this book? Yeah, I mean, there's a long story. I'll give you a short version. Um, I teach theology at a Christian college um, above Lookout, uh, on Lookout Mountain, Georgia, right above Chattanooga, Tennessee. And every student uh, that comes takes a semester of Old Testament, semester of New Testament, and a year of theology. And I've been doing that since 2001. And so part of what I'm doing is trying to give students an overview of the Christian faith. And one of the things that you realize is that even if you grow up in the church, it's easy for us to not understand what we really believe. Right. Even, even core words like grace stop having power for us because they don't really mean very much. Right. And, and so part of this book was an exploration of the Christian story, but rather than using the word grace, although I use it a lot, Mm -hmm. Try and understand it through the lens of gift, 
which is in Greek, it's the same word for gift and grace are the same thing. Um, and taking it all the way back to creation, helping us understand creation, sin, um, Jesus, the Spirit, and what it means to live in God's kingdom today, and kind of exploring that whole story through the lens of gift. And, and we can talk some about that. But so, so really, it was, a, it was a sense of trying to reintroduce people to their faith, because in some ways, we, we stop seeing what's right in front of us. Well, thank you so much. And that's what I saw in reading the book. My second question um, is, can you elaborate on the phrase that you use uh, in terms of this phrase of self-ownership and the uh, philosophical meaning behind it. I, I know you quoted uh, John Locke on it, but if you can um, unpackage, unpackage that for our listeners. Yeah, it's very hard for those of us in the West and in particular in North America because we have assumptions that basically we own ourselves, <laughs> And in order to kind of unpack that, you have to go back a little bit. And we have to remember that, that there was nothing except God. And when God created, he didn't create because he had a need. He created, and he, he, God didn't have a hole in his soul he needed filled. Instead, God, out of the overflow of the Father loving the Son and the Spirit, out of the overflow of that triune love, God creates. Mm. And then what we find in the Bible and so God creates, gives us these great, creation is a gift. We are a gift. Our very life and existence is a gift. And when the Bible talks about sin entering into God's good creation, and it's all good from the physical to the spirit, everything's good from the rocks and the lizards to the stars to our bodies. And, and it's interesting when you go, what, what is sin in Genesis? What's the beginning and it's interesting, sin is taking the one thing that God didn't give us. Mm. God said, this you don't do. And sometimes we read that and go, well, why is he, is he mean? Is he just coming up with arbitrary rules? But, but it's not actually that hard to understand. If you're a parent and you have a little child, um, when your infant is in the kitchen, you, you tell that child, you do not stick your finger in a light socket. <laughs> Right. You, you don't do that, or in the electrical socket, you don't do that because you don't like your child. You do it because your child is not made to handle that much electricity. Mm. And it's not even that electricity is bad. It's just the child is not made to handle it. And God creates us, says we're all good, and says, oh, don't do that, though. I'm not giving you that because you can't handle it. And we take the one thing that wasn't given. And that starts the story, and it's the, that is the beginning of, I own myself, I'm mm. not owned. And the reality, and, and for good reasons, that language of ownership rightly um, is pretty difficult for us to understand in any healthy ways because of the horrific history of slavery in America and racism and, and legit, just terrible sins. And that's not what I'm talking about, but the sense of God is our creator we don't own ourselves, though. We have, we've been made with a purpose, and we've been made in a certain kind of way. So we can't just create this on our own. I don't know if that helps, but that's some background. No, it does help, uh, which leads me to my next question. Why are so many people opposed to this, this biblical concept of being owned by God? Probably because we don't see people... As masters, in the, I mean, the very word master, understandably, again, because of our pretty sad 
sinful, I mean, you can use the strongest language you want, history, particularly in America with, with uh, chattel slavery and stuff, those, master is a terrible word because we can't even imagine a master who wants our good mm. and who is benevolent and who loving and is our protector, who is not abusing us, who's not, who's not manipulating us, but genuinely wants our good. Um, and that's why, it, you know, thankfully the Bible uses all kinds of imagery and maybe much more helpfully for, for many of us, the language of our father. He's mm-hmm. our father and, and he wants our good. Now, if you've come from an abusive home with an abusive father, even that language is very difficult, right? But, mm-hmm. And so thankfully the Bible gives us various images to, to capture this is a good God who wants our best, but, but we have to be careful. Our best isn't what we think it is. It's what our creator thinks it is. Amen. 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 So do you think the um, core apprehension about God owning us has to do with trust? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a nice way to put it. I, I think trust is a very helpful word. As you probably know, in the Christian tradition, when through the ages when they tried to understand what is faith. And they said, well, faith has to have some kind of knowledge. And then it has to have some kind of assent to the fact that that knowledge is true. But the third crucial component to faith is trust. Mm. It's fiducia. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're right. I think, you know, and we all struggle with that. We want to grab our lives. We want to grab and say, we have to know better. And we, and Jesus talks about this. We act like we're orphans. Um, and he says, you're not orphans. Mm. I'm not leaving you. I'm giving you my spirit. Mm-hmm. But this is a fallen world, and so things are complicated, and there is pain, and there is suffering, and, you know, we have to wrestle through what does that look like. But but we're not orphans. We have not been left. Amen for that. Uh, you, you talked about or you touched on uh, Genesis, and I wanted to ask this question because it, it's is in alignment with uh, something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, you talked about in your book this contrast between provision and prohibition. Can you please mm. unpackage that for us so our listeners would know the difference and why that's so vital to uh, uh, the Genesis story? Well, I think it, it, at its base, it's kind of what I was talking about. God actually provides. You know, in the Genesis account, we often focus on, he says, don't eat of this fruit. But what we miss is what he has provided, which is basically everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, he, he hasn't made us everything. He's made us human creatures with real limits. We're never going to be God. He didn't want us to be God. We're supposed to be creatures, human creatures. and But we're creatures who are supposed to love our God, love one another, and love his earth. Mm. And he provided everything we need, and then he gives us one pro- prohibition. But but that is even meant as a protection. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not that electricity is bad, but when a kid sticks his finger in the electrical, it's going to kill him, because he wasn't made for that. So things that God can handle are things that we can't handle. And so it's a good God, it's a loving God who says, no, not this. <laughs> you know? You're absolutely right. This is one of the most common questions that come up is uh, this question of, well, uh, if God knew that Adam and Eve were going to Mm. transgress, then why would he put 
that tree there. Uh, can you touch on that for us? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now, as you, I'm sure, know, in the history of the church, um, pastors, theologians have wrestled with this for millennia. And it's, it's, uh, it, it is, I'll just stick with the analogy I have. I mean, you could, you could ask the same thing. Listen, if, if electricity will kill you, why would you let it in your house? Well, it, it helps the whole thing work, right? <laughs> and so this is imagery, right? The, I, I do think we have to be a little bit careful because of debates about science and stuff in the last hundred years. Both sides of that debate start to miss handle that biblical text in some problematic ways. You have to ask, not, not what do we in the 21st century think the text should answer, but, but what questions was it trying to answer? And it's trying to answer who made everything. Right. And is this God good? Right. And it did everything he made. Is everything he made good? And even that tree with the knowledge, uh, good, that is good. Everything's good. Right. The house is good. The electricity is good. And it's going to function a certain way. But it's going to function this way. And if you abuse how it's functioned, then you're going to have problems. But, but it's a similar thing. I mean, I'm abusing this analogy. But you could go, yeah, someone could die from electrical shock in your house. So no house should have electricity. That will guarantee no one gets shocked. But the house doesn't work anymore. Right. It's something like that. Right. Right. Well, thank you uh, for your response to that. Uh, the next question deals with uh, the Hebrew word shalom. Mm. And you talk about word, it. Isn't it? Oh, it, amen. It, it, it flows, too. <laughs> <laughs> so the, you, you, you talk about the Hebrew word shalom. Can you tell us what you were trying to convey when you talk about the uh, uh, the peace of shalom? Yeah. So as you mentioned, this, this Hebrew word of shalom, the reason it's important is in the Old Testament, it, it's a very big word, and there's not, in terms of its meaning, and so we struggle to understand how to translate. Do you mention peace? Do you talk about calm? Do you talk about harmony? Do, all, all these kind of things. But, but the, the reason it matters, I think, is because, for example, for us North American Christians, when we talk about the peace of God, for example, we have reduced it to almost purely psychological categories. Hmm. In other words, we only think of it in terms of what happens in your heart. And the Bible and shalom is about what happens in your heart, but not just what's in your heart. Hmm. God made the world in shalom, which meant, yeah, there's, con- there's communion. Uh, uh, we have a heart toward God, toward each other, but also toward the earth. And, and it's, it's the shalom of person-to-person relationship, person-to-earth relationship, person-to-God relationship. The, the whole thing works. It's very holistic. And, and that matters because when sin comes into the world, what we find is the entire cosmos is affected. Not just human hearts, the whole thing. Romans tells us that creation groans, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it's interesting, in, in the Christian tradition, there was a time they talked about Adam, Adam, the, the first Adam, as a, as a microcosm. He's the microcosm. He's the small cosmos. So what happens to him affects the entire cosmos. It's very interesting. And once you understand that, it makes sense that what happens to Jesus then can affect the entire cosmos, too. Mm. Thank you. And, and, 
And so shalom, when Adam sins, affects the entire cosmos, and it's going to take Christ, his death and resurrection, to start doing the work of recreation. Amen. Amen. Amen for Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so tell us more about um, this uh, philosophy, which was uh, perpetuated by uh, Rudolf Boltman, uh, in terms of uh, uh, not, uh, or e- rather, ignoring uh, the metaphysics such as demons and angels, mm-hmm. uh, and not and not dealing with it. Uh, first of all, tell us about it and how that has impacted uh, us getting closer to God. Yeah, Rudolf Bultmann is a very famous modern theologian, uh, early mid twentieth century theologian, uh, German New Testament scholar. Um, probably one of the most important, that doesn't mean correct or right, right. <laughs> or praiseworthy, but, but of great significance globally in, in the New Testament. And and really, Boltman was involved in what's called demythologizing. And uh, he, he's not alone in this, and he kind of came from a stream, but for our purposes, he's involved in demythologizing. What that meant simply is he said, you know, the Bible is using these myths to get to deeper truths. Mm. And and so he's like, listen, there, and it, very famously he talked about, you know, heaven above the earth and then hell beneath. And he basically said, you know, in the first century, everyone believed in this three-tiered universe. None of us believe that when you shoot a rocket in the sky, you're going to get into heaven. No one believes if you drill down deep enough, you're going to get to hell. So none of us believe in that world. We don't believe in demons. He very famously, early 20th century said, we have electricity and light bulbs now. Come on, we're, we're past this. Right. Um, and so he is asking, so what does that mean? It, it actually, in his mind, it meant kind of existentialism. It meant being open to the future. Uh, resurrection hope, resurrection faith was not faith in a literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus, but just kind of being open to the future, forgiving yourself, that kind of thing. What's interesting, though, is since you mentioned demons, here's a, he's a German theologian. In the first half of the 20th century, thinking how silly it is to believe in demons. And how do you make sense of what happens in Germany and the Holocaust? Mm. Is it really so naive to believe in the demonic? Right. And if you ask, if you ask Christians around the world, around the globe, if you start, you know, we're so prejudiced in, 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 in our view of the West, and we're so sophisticated, ask people around the world if they believe in the demonic, even non-Christians if they believe in the spiritual world, and they're going to say, yeah, there's not really a debate about that. So there's a naiveness, in my opinion, about us. And it's, it's amazing to me that even in Germany, you can, we can think, no, this is, there's no demonic. I mean, that's clearly demonic seems to me. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, and then lastly, uh, can you just sum up your uh, main thesis as it relates to uh, the God who gives? So yeah. in, in other words, uh, why the God who gives? What did you want all of us to get out of it? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Let me try and be as brief as possible. I'd explain God creates everything and he makes it good. And then we take the one thing he hasn't given, that's sin. So here's the interesting question. How will God get it all back? Because we've screwed this up. How is he going to get it back? And what's interesting, what we think, our, in, our tendency is he's going to get it back. He's either going to destroy it. He's going to bring tanks. He's going to... 
And what we find in the biblical story is the way God gets it all back is by giving everything. Amen. He gives his son and he gives his spirit. The great gifts of God is his son and spirit, which means the great gift of God is that he gives himself. Amen. And as Christians, our salvation, our hope is not that he saves us from this or that or that. I mean, those things are true, but, but actually the center of our hope is that we get God. God mm. is in us. We commune with him. We love him. We experience his, his kindness, his compassion, his presence. We get God, not ideas about God. We get God. Mm. That's the whole book put shortly. Mm. Well, Brother Capic, thank you so much for joining us on Sound Reasoning. And his book is called The God Who Gives. Uh, please uh, get one for yourself. And again, thank you for being on Sound Reasoning. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate oh, it. Okay, talk to you later. Uh, that's Professor uh, Kelly Capic. Um, he's a professor of theological studies, and he's written the book, The God Who Gives. And I hope that those that are listening, that you receive something from it. And it's very important that we think about his thesis, which is that God gives himself to us um, in totality. When we accept Christ, we not only uh, have relationship with Christ, but we also have a relationship with God, the father. And then we have a relationship with God, the spirit, the Holy Ghost. And so it's important that we remind ourselves of, of this triuneness about God and that uh, uh, God loves us uh, without question. And he gave his very best. As John 3.6 depicts, uh, God gave us his very best. He, uh, he didn't give us a substitute uh, outside of himself. He gave us himself. And through Christ, we see the direct reflection of God himself. So please uh, think about that. And for those of you that are listening, we always encourage you to consider sponsoring uh, this radio show. We need your support. Uh, so please, uh, if, if you uh, feel led, uh, think about becoming a monthly uh, partner of Sound Reasoning Radio Show. And we thank you all for all that you do in your local areas. Remember to do for the truth what others do for a lie. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast, 
Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.